You may be seated. Uh, today we come to a passage from the ninth chapter of St. Mark's Gospel. And I invite you to turn there in your Bibles or to follow along on the screen. This is another account, like last week's account, of Jesus coming into contact with, with evil forces, with, with the demonic. And a couple of people approached me after the sermon uh, last week about these, uh, the, this topic of, of the demonic. And do we really believe this? Is this something that, that, that really happens in our world today? And to that I say an emphatic, yes, it does. This is a part of a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview is the reality of Satan's activity within our world. So today we go to Mark, the ninth chapter, reading in Jesus' name. And when they, that is um, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they is referring to, to Jesus and these three of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, coming down uh, from the mountain where Jesus had been transfigured before him. And when they came down to the disciples, that is to the remaining disciples who were not on that mountain as Jesus was transfigured, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and, and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. So the most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he, he, he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Today's gospel lesson is somewhat sensational, isn't it? It's like something out of uh, Hollywood. Jesus face to face with demonic forces. 
The lesson for us in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, really is a lesson on living with faith in Jesus in an evil world. Living with faith in an evil world. Those of you gathered here today who trust Christ as, as Savior, you're aware of the reality of living in a fallen and in, in a wicked world. You know what it means to live in this present evil age. Those who trust in Christ know, uh, you, you know that when you are weak, that Jesus is strong. That he is the strength of your life in facing all manner of evil and wickedness in this world. You know that he's the only one who will have compassion on you. He's the only one that will truly be there for you as you face this life and all that this life can throw at you. We do live in a fallen and a wicked world. Many would disagree with that. They wouldn't agree. They, they would say that, 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 that this world mostly is good, but... We, we adhere to the scriptures and to a biblical view of, of this world that we're living in, so we, no, we say, no, that this world is, is fallen. This world truly is ruined and broken and, and even wicked. The narrative of scripture starts with a perfect world, right? As our first parents lived in the garden, Everything was perfect. Can you imagine going back to, to that time in the Garden of Eden when everything was perfect? No evil, no toil, no hardship, no pain. The thorns and the thistles which cursed the ground didn't even grow at that time. Moreover, our first parents, they, they walked with God perfectly. Nothing hindered them in their relationship with the Creator. That isn't until Satan, and Satan uh, entered into the garden, and Satan tempted Eve, and uh, he tempted her, and they both ate of the forbidden fruit. When Adam and Eve fell into the temptation of the devil, our world became broken beyond anything that they would ever imagine. Satan isn't found only at the beginning of the biblical narrative. Satan is found throughout the narrative of scripture. Then when Jesus entered into human history, when he came into contact with demonic forces, these demonic forces met their doom, foreshadowing Jesus's Return when he will come ultimately to defeat the power of evil at the end of the ages. The end of the narrative, the revelation of John. Jesus has ultimate victory over evil, over Satan, over the demonic hordes. This is the biblical worldview. This is the meta-narrative that, that explains life today. And if we don't understand that this meta-narrative meta or this, 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 uh, this story of Scripture, 
It's going to be very difficult for us to understand our lives today because this is the ultimate story that explains everything. It explains everything from Genesis to Revelation. Satan is a factor today. Demonic forces are still at work in our world. The Bible speaks plainly of this reality, and the Bible shows that Jesus, that Jesus, listen to this, Jesus has complete authority over the power of Satan. We who trust in Christ, we who trust this truth, we know this, greater is he that is within us than he that is within the world. I want to go to uh, what John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And I have this verse available for you on the screen. Hopefully you can read it. It's not too small. Here John writes, Beloved, do not... Now listen to this. He, John understands the reality of, of evil spiritual forces because he says, Do not believe every spirit. He says, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And then he says, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Listen to this. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And John goes on to write, little children, this is you, this is me. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That lays it out plainly, doesn't it? We are still living in a world where the enemy, the enemy of our souls is still active and at work many ways. But every time the forces of evil meet Jesus, Jesus drove them away. He cast them out. He brought freedom to the oppressed. He drove them away, foreshadowing even his future end times, ultimate and final victory over Satan, which will liberate all of creation from the clutches of evil. So with that, let's go back to Mark chapter 9. Please turn there in your scriptures today. In this, morning, in this morning's reading from Mark chapter 9, Jesus has just come down from the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And uh, they had experienced the glory of God on the mountain. This is what we would call the mountaintop experience. The ultimate mountaintop experience. 
Jesus was changed before them. His clothes had become brilliantly white, brighter than anyone on earth could bleach them. Along with the glory that shone from Christ, Moses and Elijah appeared and talked with Jesus on the mountain. If you're familiar with with that, that passage of scripture, you know that they didn't want to leave that mountain. They wanted to stay on the mountain. How many of you have had a mountaintop experience before in your life, an encounter with God, and you didn't want it to end? You wanted to stay on the mountain. You never wanted to come down. Maybe it was camp or a retreat or a mission trip or something like that. They were on the mountaintop, and they didn't want to come down from the mountain. They had had an encounter with with the glory of God and, and Jesus Christ. This was their mountaintop experience. Meanwhile, the other disciples remained behind. Instead of of this great mountaintop experience, the remaining 12 experienced defeat at the hands of a particularly nasty demon. See the contrast here? Here the disciples are up on the mountain experiencing glory. And here the the remaining disciples are, are down below being defeated being defeated by the enemy. All demons are nasty. But the demon that gripped this boy was especially nasty. The disciples who remained behind while Jesus, Peter, James, and John ascended the mountain were unable to perform a successful exorcism This boy was not relieved of his torment. This is the sensationalism of Hollywood horror, isn't it? I believe there are many movie makers who would just love to, to take this scene and to play it out on the screen. A demon possessed child. The demon caused the boy to be mute. I don't know if you ever noticed it before, but there's nothing creepier in some of these movies than, than, than mute ki- or kids, right? The boy would be seized. He would foam at the mouth. He would grind his teeth and become rigid. Often the demon cast the boy into a fire, into water to, to kill him. Bible commentators, Bible commentators who deny the supernatural have said that this was a case of epilepsy. And it does resemble epilepsy, doesn't it? But Jesus would have known if the cause of this boy's torment was epilepsy. Jesus would have known that if if it was medical in nature. And and Jesus could have healed uh, this medical case without a problem. He, He is creator God, right? All things are possible with him. He can heal. Instantly. Jesus never denied the reality of demonic possession. The Bible presents this as demonic possession. And where do we stand? We stand upon the reliable account of Scripture. And Jesus confirmed the diagnosis of the disciples. He spoke to the Spirit drove the evil spirit out 
with a command. But the disciples, the disciples, they couldn't cast the demon out of the boy. Why? Why were they unable to perform this exorcism? Well, Jesus diagnosed their problem. You see, demon possession wasn't the only issue in this account. There was another problem in the account, and that was a problem with the disciples and those that had gathered there. Mark 9, 19. That'll be on the screen for you. Here is the diagnosis. Here is the problem. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. O faithless generation. O faithless generation. It was their lack of faith. Or their unbelief. A lack of faith that made their attempts at exorcism unsuccessful. Unbelief, a lack of faith. Jesus said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but what? But by prayer. O faithless generation. Would Jesus say the same thing in our generation today? If he were to walk into our church, if he was to, to be among us, would he say the same thing regarding us? If I were to have a one-on-one -on -one encounter with Jesus Christ, just Jesus and I sitting down together, would he have the same thing to say about me? O faithless pastor. O faithless church. O faithless generation. I'll be the first to admit, you can go ahead and, and, and hide behind your pietism, but I'll be the first to admit that maybe Jesus would say that to me. Maybe I, I don't have the faith that I ought to have. How many of you would admit the same thing? I believe that if we look deep enough inside of ourselves, we will see within us doubt and unbelief, a lack of trust in Jesus Christ. And isn't that lack of trust often manifested in our lives in the way we deal with the situations of life? Oh, faithless generation, oh, faithless congregation. O faithless pastor. So often I'm like the father of this tormented boy. Did you notice his cry? Did you notice his prayer? He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. How many of you are in that place? How many of you are honest enough to say, that that is the prayer of my heart. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So often it's hard to believe. It's hard to trust. 
especially when the circumstances are so difficult in life. When life throws things at you or when it seems as if the bottom has fallen out. It's difficult to live full of faith. And I will say it's, it's actually impossible for us to live with faith. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said this kind is cast out only by prayer? And included in the narrative is a heartfelt cry of prayer before Jesus. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What is faith? Is faith something that comes from within us? That's why it's impossible, I said, for us to to have faith. Because faith doesn't come from within. Faith is a gift. What is faith? Where does faith come from? And how can I grow in faith? First of all, what is faith? Well, faith is a gift. Faith comes from outside of us. We cannot work up faith within ourselves. Faith is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit which grabs hold of the promise of Christ. And this, brothers and sisters in Christ, is a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit to you. Do you have faith that grabs hold of the promise of Christ? That didn't come from you. It came from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has gifted you with faith to believe, to grab hold of the promises of God. And you've experienced this in your life. When life gets tough, something rises within you, and that that, that thing that rises within you grabs tightly to the promises of God. Hebrews 11.1, maybe this will help. Hebrews 11.1 gives us a definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things what? Things not seen. Faith is that which grabs hold of the promises of God. And it doesn't come from within us, it comes from the Holy Spirit. Have you been here before? I don't see it, God. There's this doubt hiding in my heart, but I believe it. God, I don't understand it. I don't understand it with my mind. I don't understand how you are able to handle this, but I trust in you. Have you been there? It really isn't until we come to the end of ourselves that we begin to realize the power of this gift of faith that has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. It isn't until we're at that low point, that difficult point, that unimaginable point of life, that we begin to understand and realize the power of faith which has been gifted to us. Now, there are some who try to work up faith within themselves. They try to to generate this, this faith inside of them. It's like the athlete that needs to psych herself up before the big game probably remember this if you played sports you needed to psych yourself up before the game right Uh, the athlete needs to get herself in a certain mental state of mind to bring her best game athletes understand the need for mental preparedness which brings a certain focus 
and a physical ability to perform well. Now, I'll never forget bringing Ben and Josh Miller with me to Fergus Falls. Uh, these guys were excited to represent our region, the Pacific region, in the biannual softball tournament at our church's association. They were ready to play softball. I've never seen this before. Churches from all over the USA and Canada came together for a softball game. On the way to the ball field, Ben and Josh wanted me to play some energetic rap music so they could get psyched up. And all I could think, this is just a church softball game. Why are you taking this so seriously? These guys were committed to winning. They knew they had to be in a certain place, a certain mental state of mind so that they could bring their best game and guess what? We lost. We lost. I think the central region won, didn't they? Yeah. You can't work up faith. You can't work it up inside of you. Some church groups do just that. They get all excited. They jump around. They dance around. They shout and scream, but it's all a flash in the pan. Faith is given as a gift. But how is this faith given? How does the Holy Spirit create faith within us? Faith in Jesus does not come naturally. It's not naturally uh, within us to trust in Christ. The idea of God or a God or a spiritual reality comes naturally. doesn't matter where you travel in the world. Um, there you will find people who believe in some sort of spiritual reality. That comes naturally. But faith in Jesus is not revealed to us through creation. Book of Romans tells us that creation declares there is a God. And that's why there really are very, very few atheists in the world today. And that will remain the same till the end of the age because creation declares the reality that there is a God. But creation does not declare the reality of Jesus. Creation does not re uh, reveal to us the reality of the cross and of the resurrection. There is only one way for us to know of Jesus and then to have faith in Jesus created within us. And that is through the Word. Through the Word. And I have another verse for you, Romans 10, 17. Where does faith come from? So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through what? The Word. The Word of Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's where faith comes from. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes by the word of the gospel. Why do we need to hear the, the, the word of the gospel again and again and again and again? 
Why do we need to continually hear this message of Jesus and, and, and his sacrificial death upon the cross and his glorious resurrection? Why do we have to hear it over and over and over again? Because we forget it over and over and over and over again. And when we forget that, we begin to lose faith. So we preach. We preach the gospel. We read our Bibles. We remain in God's Word. Because we are so prone to forget. Remember the disciples had been told by Jesus to remain behind as Jesus, Peter, James, and John ascended the mountain where Jesus was transfigured before them? Maybe the disciples had forgotten Jesus' word in his absence. And when we forget his word, what do we do? We begin to trust ourselves. We begin to trust in ourselves and we begin to trust in our own abilities. We begin to trust and to believe that we are capable of handling this on our own without Jesus. So could it be that in the absence of Jesus, the disciples forgot that all things depend on God's power and not their own ability? You've been there before. You've said this, I've got this, I can do this. And you don't even give God a thought. Trusting in your own power, trusting in your own ability. You forget to cry out to him for help. We constantly fall into this mindset where we deceive ourselves into believing that we are self-sufficient to handle life. You don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. What is it about this world that makes the battle too much for us to handle? Martin Luther understood the reality of this present evil age. He got it. He understood it. He wrote a hymn, it's a famous hymn, you're familiar with the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Martin Luther understood what it means to live with faith in an evil world. To live with faith in Jesus Christ in this present evil age. Martin Luther, the third stanza of his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He understands the reality of, of the enemy. Though hordes of devils fill the land, all threatening to devour us, where does Luther stand? We tremble not, unmoved we stand. They cannot overpower us. He says, let this world's tyrant rage and battle will engage. His might is doomed to fail. God's judgment must prevail. My, the, the most, my, my most favorite part of this, this hymn one little word subdues him. One little word subdues him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need God's word. God's word creates faith. God's word conquers Satan. The word of the gospel creates faith, and the reflex of faith that holds fast to Christ is prayer. 
And it is the word of Christ combined by the prayer of faith that defeats every evil foe that seeks to entangle us. It isn't us, it is Jesus. It is all him. Mark 9, 29. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Prayer, the reflex of faith. Faith, a gift, a gift to hold on to the promises of Christ. The disciples had lost faith. Their faithlessness was made manifest by their lack of prayer. And this lack of faith and prayer led to their failure. Bottom line, it's all a gift of God's grace. It has nothing to do with us. All depends upon the grace of our Lord and his power, which is made manifest in our weakness. Did you know that Jesus is calling you today? He's calling you. He is gracious and he is merciful. He has compassion on you. How does he call you? He calls you by his word, by the word of the gospel. He calls through his word that you would be given what you need in the midst of every difficulty in this fallen world. Living with faith in a fallen world. What does it mean? It means that we have received the gift of God's word. And God's word creates and sustains and strengthens faith in Jesus' power and over every evil force of this evil fallen world. You have what you need. You don't need to fear the enemy. You can live without fear because Christ dwells within you. And his power is made perfect in weakness. Greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. Evil, it started with our first parents in the Garden of Eden. It comes to a complete end on the day of Christ's return. To understand evil and Jesus' triumph over evil, you need to understand the narrative of the Bible. You need to understand the beginning of the book and you need to understand the end of the book. Because it explains everything. It makes sense of everything. It is God's word. It is the gift of Christ. And we know from 2 Peter 2.4 and Jude 6 that Satan has been bound. The victory of the cross of Jesus Christ has put the enemy in chains. And at the end of the ages, Satan will be released for a short time. He will be released for a short time to deceive the nations. But then Christ will come with great power and authority. And that is the day that we are looking forward to. The end of suffering. The end of evil. The beginning of a new heaven and a new earth. 
Martin Luther put it this way, lo, his doom is sure. It is sure. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The one who possessed this boy, tormented this boy, will be tormented forever and ever. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 7, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have been caught up into this narrative, this narrative of Scripture. It is yours. It is yours. The victory is yours. As you come to read the narrative of the Bible, you come to understand that God has compassion. He has compassion on you. He has compassion on all of creation. When God looked down on this evil world, he could have destroyed it by the word of his mouth. He could have wiped us out in an instant, but he didn't because he is gracious and compassionate. Jesus loves you. If he didn't love you, none of this would would be available to us today. Uh, The word Uh, the gift of faith, being able to hold on and grab on to the promises of God. If he didn't love you, this this wouldn't be available to you. It's all proof that he loves you more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. Um, God loves you so much that he sent Jesus into this world for you, to die for you, to shed his blood. His body was broken upon the cross. His blood was shed there. And that blood makes atonement for all of your sins. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called what? Children. Of God. That is who you are. Trust Him. The times are evil. But through Jesus, you have been given all.
that is needed. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We thank you for these realities. As we do come before your table today to receive your body and your blood, in, with, and under the bread and the wine that we are to eat and drink, we pray that we would come with humble hearts, knowing that we are not worthy to receive such a great gift. But we take this gift today, we hold it in our hands, we eat it, we drink of it, knowing that all has been accomplished, that all is finished, that all evil has been defeated, and that we have been caught up in this great meta-narrative. From the beginning of the ages to the end of the ages, we are caught up with you in your glory to live with you forever. And we thank you for this. So we ask that you'd prepare our hearts as we sing now. In Jesus' name, amen.